0: A Pew Research Center survey on more than 3,700 parents showed that mothers feel more worried, stressed, and judged than fathers. But my question is, do we really need a survey to know that? This is Paul Check. I'm Carmen Pond. A widely anticipated legal battle over whether federal policies supersede state laws began Wednesday with a pair of lawsuits seeking to hold restrictions on abortion pills in two states. The challenges are targeting laws in North Carolina and West Virginia that prevent patients from receiving abortion pills by mail or from retail pharmacies or ban the use of the pills entirely. The cases are likely to have national implications, as more than a dozen states have imposed laws limiting how, when, and where patients can obtain abortion pills. Black, Hispanic, and Native American people have had higher COVID-19 infection and death rates than white people when adjusted by age. People with chronic conditions and compromised immune systems have been hit harder than other groups. That's according to new data by congressional district developed by the NYU Grossman School of Medicine in partnership with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. A political analysis of the data found that the districts with the highest local COVID risk tended to be in the Southeast, Southwest, and Appalachia. And Ruth Reader is here to discuss what to watch out for in a new lawsuit which argues that social media is a defective
1: product. Hey, thanks for having me, Carmen.
0: So you're reporting that a California court could soon decide whether social media firms need to pay and change their ways for the damage they've allegedly done to Americans' mental health. That's super interesting. Tell me more about this lawsuit.
1: So it's a consolidation of several lawsuits. And when I say several, I mean, I believe that there are potentially anywhere from like 70 to 120 lawsuits that are currently getting consolidated into a single complaint that's being filed in the Northern District of California next month. And what it does is it accuses some big social media platforms, including Meta, TikTok, Snap, Alphabet. And what it says is that these platforms have algorithms, essentially, that are causing harm to individuals. And sort of their main argument is that these companies design product recommendation algorithms that recommend content to people and amplify certain content and target content to individuals. And sometimes as a result of that targeting, people can develop a myriad of mental health issues from anxiety to depression to eating disorders is a really big one that's come up in this consolidation of lawsuits. So it's interesting because we've been talking about the harms of social media for many years now, right? And a couple of years ago, a whistleblower who worked at Meta made these disclosures that said essentially that Facebook And Instagram were aware that their platforms were causing harm, particularly to teenagers, and that it wasn't doing anything about it. And there were hearings, if you remember, congressional hearings about this subject, and lawmakers came out and they said, we really have to do something about this. We have to regulate these companies and prevent these harms. However, (laughs) not a lot of traction's been made. Certainly on the regulatory front, we haven't seen any bills pass yet. And the reason for that partially is that there's this complicated law that protects these companies and has always protected these companies, or at least as far back as 1996. Mm -hmm. And that is the 1996 Communications Act. There's a provision in there called Section 230. And Section 230 sort of offers these platforms blanket immunity from legal liability for content posted by third parties. Basically, the provision argues that Companies like Meta and TikTok, these are publishers, and so they can't really be liable for content that belongs to somebody else, right? They're just the messenger. But that's provided a lot of immunity. And so therefore, when harms do happen, neither legislators nor lawyers, nobody's really been able to hold these companies accountable for the things that are happening on the platform and for harms that are happening by way of these platforms, even though it's acknowledged that harms are happening. Isn't that sort of weird and interesting? <laughs> it totally is. This lawsuit sounds like it would be precedent-setting if
0: it's successful. Do we have any sort of like idea or insight into...
1: How likely is it to succeed? We really don't because it's very fresh territory legally. There's not great precedent on this. You know, there is sort of a growing body of case law around sort of like testing the idea that software is a product. There are a few big hurdles for this lawsuit. One of them is sort of the Section 230 thing in the first place, which in general, tech companies have said, listen, Section 230 protects us regarding content, and therefore it just provides blanket immunity. I don't know, and no one knows, if that legal argument is going to hold up in this product liability case. It could potentially. So that has to be worked out. The second thing is that there's a huge question as to whether algorithms can actually be products. Mm -hmm. So in traditional product liability law, products are things like a car or a ladder, like tangible goods, right, with obvious harms, like, you know, a car with a part that has continuously malfunctioned and can be documented, right, or, you know, a ladder with a faulty rung, stuff like that. That's a huge thing that kind of needs to be worked out. One sort of funny aspect about the argument in favor of algorithms as products, one thing that lawyers will point to is that like, you you know, you look at all these tech companies and they hire these people called product managers. And it's like, you know, if these algorithms and these platforms aren't products, then why would you have product managers? Why would you have product designers, right? Right, (laughs) Which I think is always very funny because I, I don't know what the counter argument is to that just yet, but I'm certain that we will hear. Another interesting thing to just keep in mind about this is that At the same time that these sort of issues have to be worked out for this lawsuit, something else is going on. There's another really big lawsuit happening. And I believe the Supreme Court will be hearing oral arguments on it next month for this case called Google versus Gonzalez. That case, I won't go into the details of it, but what you need to know about that case is that it brings up this whole Section 230 argument. And the case seeks to look at essentially, what are the limits of 230 and are there limits to this big, broad immunity that tech companies enjoy? The big takeaway to know from that, which is like sort of getting rolling next month, is that the Supreme Court justices could narrow their definition of when 230 applies, right? Mm-hmm. If they do that, if the, if it says that, well, the law actually doesn't sort of have this big broad scope it actually really only protects tech platforms from whatever you know they determine the criteria to be that sort of opens a door for this other lawsuit that i'm writing about and sort of mitigates the potential use of the section 230 argument if that makes sense
0: have the companies reacted to the california
1: lawsuit so far have they said anything in their defense so far much of their defense has been that they are trying to address the harms and that they are actually actively addressing the harms that these lawsuits raise, right? So that, you know, I think there has been some, you know, with with Facebook alone or really Instagram, I think they've launched like 30 features um, to try and help specifically with um, the eating disorder issue and sort of trying to prevent minors from being served, like weight loss ads, dieting Content, or there's this other thing called Thinspo. I don't know if you've heard of this, but Thinspo. I (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it says something about my age, but I have not. (laughs) Thinspo is content that inspires one to want to be thin. Oh my God. Right? So the platforms are aware of this. They're aware of various hashtags that get appended to posts that are sort of promoting disordered eating quite frankly. And so they say that they're doing their best to moderate this content. So far, that's sort of been their argument is that, you know, they're aware of the issue and they are making changes to their platform to address it. But not everybody is really satisfied by that answer. Mm -hmm. Next month is when this multi-district litigation lawsuit concerning sort of mental health issues gets filed. You know, the suit's already sort of been consolidated insofar as like It's been assigned to court, but they're filing the actual new complaint next month. And then, as I said, that Supreme Court case, Google versus Gonzalez, will begin to hear oral arguments next month. So a lot is happening in this space. And it's interesting because I think, you know, it's possible, I should say, that this year we really actually see either from a legal perspective or possibly even, you know, from legislators, we may start to see a way forward in terms of how we deal with the harms of social media. Wow, that
0: is very interesting. Thank you so much for following that route. We will be watching your reporting on what happens next month.
1: All right. Thanks so much for inviting me.
0: On Twitter, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy named the Republican members of the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic. Reporter Chris Damar is here to break it down in Pulse Check's
2: 60-second challenge. Okay, start the timer. On Tuesday night, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced on his Twitter account the names of the nine House Republicans who've been tapped to lead the charge in new, wide-reaching congressional investigations into COVID. The select subcommittee will be investigating where COVID came from and whether it could have been leaked from a lab and a host of other things like the number of nursing home deaths that occurred during the pandemic, which Republicans say we still don't have a good answer to. The committee's chairman is going to be Representative Brad Wenstrup of Ohio, who is also the co chair of the GOP Doctors Caucus. And the other member that everybody has their eye on is Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, the Republican firebrand who has been making a comeback under McCarthy's leadership after Democrats stripped her of her committee assignments last Congress. Democrats have yet to name their members of the committee. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> We knew that Republicans were going to be launching widespread investigations into the federal COVID response months ago. And now it's really just going to be watching those unfold and particularly who they call up from the administration. And I think in particular, Anthony Fauci, I think, is going to be probably front and center in a lot of what happens in the House. And that's our
0: show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyn, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Carmen Pond. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse future polls, and prescription polls. Thank you for listening.